There you go. Well, we're in this uh, series we're starting called Shoots and Ladders, and we're going to talk all about the ups and downs of life. You know what I'm talking about, right? All you have to do is look back on your life the last maybe year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, it doesn't matter the length of time, and you can look at times where you felt like this is an up, this is a high, and times where you're like, this is a low, this is a down. And that's what we're going to focus on the next couple weeks. Do you remember when uh, you were a kid and you actually spent time on slides in the playground? Do you remember this? Um, and, and you would have to go to the playground and go up the ladder and then down the slide. That's a simple concept of how it worked. Uh, and as a kid, though, and you're thinking about uh, sliding slides or going to playgrounds, sometimes you would go to these places that had these elaborate playground setups. I mean, this is not the backyard variety where it was one ladder with, you know, four or five rungs and a little slide. I mean, these are these big, massive type of playgrounds, you know, where you would get out of the car or as you were driving up in the car, you know, and you're just a small fry at this time. Your, your eyes are just, wow, I can't believe this. We're about to play on this. And often there was some slide apparatus. I remember when I was young, the, the, the big one that Parks would make was this kind of metal rocket ship. Do you remember this? Uh, where it was kind of a metal rocket ship, and you would go through these different climbing uh, uh, deals to get up to the top, and then there was some slide that went down. Now, a little bit later on, I was probably too old to actually be on slides, but I was doing it anyway, was when they started to have, you know, the wraparound slides too, and, and then uh, uh, maybe even the plastic ones uh, as well, where you didn't have to, you know, burn the back of your legs as you were going down. But the work when you were little was getting up the ladder. You remember? I mean, you had to really work to get up the ladder. The joy was sliding down the slide. Uh, getting to go down in the exhilaration of what was happening as you slid down. Now think about it through the eyes of about a seven-year-old. That's a good time sliding down a slide. Now some of you I know uh, don't need to be seven years old to slide down a slide and have a real good time. I've seen pictures of Steve Martin uh, doing it, uh, I, right? I know you were on a wagon or something, but the general concept was about the same. Um, yeah, it's an enjoyment to slide down the slide. I remember being in like seven-year-old, second, third grade, and sliding down a slide and having such a good time that this, this, uh, the, the excitement of sliding down, this profanity slipped out of my mouth as I was sliding down, uh, this profanity of excitement. Um, and it wasn't exciting after that because my mom was at the bottom of the slide and... Uh, <laughs> Um, I can remember that slide experience very vividly because um, uh, the punishment of it lasted quite a, wa a while in my household. So the work is getting up the ladder, right? It's climbing up and climbing up. Now, as adults, sometimes we, we go to some of these water parks, and uh, the slides are the same, but they're bigger, and, uh, and they're pretty fun too. The work is getting up the ladder just the same way. In life, it works a little different. We spend so much time, uh, in, whether it's in our job or our, or our finances and these type of things, we have this enjoyment of trying to climb the ladder of life, right? We spend a lot of our energy and our effort climbing up the ladder. And every rung that we step up, we have this sense of accomplishment and this sense of excitement and, and sometimes this sense of I now have more value or my status is greater as I climb up this ladder. In fact, next week, our message is going to talk strictly about climbing the ladder. What does it entail? How do you get there? And how does it relate or equal to uh, the spiritual journey as well? But in life, it works a little bit different on the slide. It's not like the six or seven-year-old that has the exhilaration of sliding down. 
when we hit a point in our life where it just things get pulled out from under us and we feel ourselves sliding down or we feel ourselves just headed quickly down to a low point, it's not as exciting. The ride is not as fun. The, the uh, game Shoots and Ladders, which we've been kind of playing off of, do you remember the old board game? that uh, you probably played it when you were growing up, or you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. The game actually has it a little more right. See, in the game, as you go down, you spin, you know, the, the little flicker as you spin it around, uh, you go f- your spaces, and then you get to climb the ladder and you are continuing forward in the game. But then, if you hit that spinner just wrong, you're sliding right back down. And inevitably, you're up in the high point in the game, and you hit the one slide that slides you all the way back down to row two, you know what I'm talking about? it seems like that connects a little bit more with real life. We spend a lot of our time trying to climb the ladder. The slide is not so much fun. But here's the truth of the matter, and we'll get into the scripture of it in just a second. The truth of the matter is it doesn't matter what you do in life. It doesn't matter your occupation. It doesn't matter if your marriage is great or your marriage is struggling a little bit. It doesn't matter if you have kids or you don't have kids. It matters not whatever place you are in life. You will experience ups and downs of life. It's just a fact. It's proven. It's there. You'll experience it. In fact, the scripture puts it a certain way as well. Take a look at it. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we're going to read these first eight verses to start, and then we'll read verse 9 in just a minute. And these first eight verses uh, may be a popular uh, uh, phrase, something that's very familiar to you, though often we don't even know it from scripture. We know it from song lyrics or commercials or greeting cards or things like that. But the gist of this is from Scripture. This is where it originated, and this is what it has to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. You know, as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and we don't necessarily have time to break down the whole, the whole book itself, but as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, in the first several chapters, you're reading this, this theme of kind of vain, meaningless. What is life all about? And then we hit this chapter, and it's really the first eight verses in the book of Ecclesiastes that, that talks about these, these good things that happen as well. But notice for every time of something good here, there is its opposite as well in this scripture. The Bible is letting us know right away here, there is a time for all things. Now, a couple things uh, that, uh, that I've learned about this passage. One thing is, the passage is not necessarily a passage about commands, saying that uh, there is a time where you should go out and love, and then there's a time where you should go out and hate. The, Bible, the passage is not necessarily commanding us to act a certain way as we break down and we walk through this go kill at one point and another point we heal for one another. You know, scholars uh, are pretty much in agreement that this passage is 
not saying that each of these times listed uh, happen at the perfect time, meaning that the passage is not necessarily saying there's a perfect time where, you, where people experience hard stuff and there's a perfect time where you experience good stuff in life. So what's it really saying? As I work through the commentators and ask, what is the collective theme of these eight verses, one thing was loud and clear that, that each agree on, letting us know that things happen. All kinds of things will happen. Some scholars uh, believe that, that this passage talks about a, an, a preordained point that these type of type things happen. Others don't believe that at all. But they both would agree with the fact that things happen. When we're walking through life, it doesn't matter where you are in life or what you're dealing with, at some point in time, things are going to happen. Great things, good things, things that are exciting to you, things that you feel like bring this health and joy to your life, and there'll be other times where things bring heartache and struggle, and you have to really feel the hit of what it's like to go down one of these chutes. The real question that we say often when we put it in, in our terms is this, why do these different things happen to people at different times? Why does one person win the lottery and somebody else doesn't? Why does one person go to work one day and be told they don't have a job anymore? Why does one person get selected out of a group when another person doesn't? Why do these things happen, good or bad, at different points to different people at different times? When we ask this question, usually we're even focused on the struggles, the hard things. We ask the question something like, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen at all? Why are there struggles, if we put it personally, that I have to face? Does this sound familiar to anyone out there? Do you ever ask these type of questions? Do you ever go through these situations, these struggles, these low points, these times where you can look back and you actually see the slide behind you and you can't even figure out how you ever got on it? You just know you're at the bottom of it. And you're asking that type of personal question. What's the struggle? Why does this struggle come my way? Well, it's a, an age-old question that, that people ask about, uh, about the faith. The next verse actually puts this question all the way back in Ecclesiastes, take a look at it, Ecclesiastes 3.9. The author says, What do people really get for their hard work? You remember I t said the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes are talking about this vanity and this meaningless. And when we get to this, this uh, particular verse, you, you can almost pick up the cynicism of the author saying, you know, what do people really get for all this hard work? Or we might say it in a phrase like this, um, you know, all I did, and look what I have to show for it. You ever say a phrase like that? I did all this and I got nothing. I got nothing to show for it. Well, remember I said next week we're going to talk about the climbing of the ladder, the all I did part that, we just, that I just mentioned there. We're going to talk about that next week. But the slide part. When we stop and we turn around and we look back at the slide and we know we're at the bottom, we ask ourselves, why? Why am I down here? Why do I have to deal with the struggle? You know, it really boils down to two ways that we end up dealing with the chute, with the slide, getting to the bottom. There's really two ways. One way is circumstances. Do you know this? Circumstances. You know, simply meaning, and it goes all the way back into God's Word, that things happen sometimes to us without reason. 
or without cause, meaning we didn't do anything wrong. Have you ever had something happen to you and you can't look back and find fault? You, you can't look back at something you did. You're driving down the road and you're obeying the 45-mile-hour speed limit and maybe you're, you're even at 10 and 2 and you're, you know, you're looking around and you're looking here and uh, when your kid asks you a question, you say, not now, I'm driving, um, you know, and you don't even think about the cell phone and, and those type of things, and yet somebody still nails you at an intersection, takes out the back end, and lo and behold, they're not insured. And we ask, I didn't have any fault there. There are circumstances that happen in life often that we can't quite find the reason, the answer to. This even shows up in God's Word in the book of Job. We find, as we're introduced to this character of Job, you know, we find out that Job is considered righteous, blameless guy. And yet these things happen in, in the first chapter alone. He gets a messenger that comes and tells him his ox, oxen and donkeys have been attacked by an opposing force. Killed. All the oxen, donkey, all the servants that were taking care of him, gone. We find uh, that just a paragraph later that a, a messenger comes to tell him his sheep and all the servants, they've been burned up in a fire. All of them, gone. Next paragraph, we find his camels and his ser- all the servants there with the camels, gone, attacked, killed by an opposing force. And then the, the next messenger comes, maybe the hardest one for Job to hear, was his sons and daughters having a feast, hanging out and eating, and there's this storm that comes in, tears down the whole facility, and they're all killed. Now, you can search the book of Job all you want, and you won't find a reason for this to happen. You won't find a clear reason, meaning that Job didn't do anything wrong. Circumstances hit us. The second thing is decisions. Now, we know about this, that when we make certain decisions, we have to often reap the consequence. Did you know in the Old Testament, if you were to read, just like sit down and crank it through in one sitting or so, if you started in all the history section of the Old Testament and just read, you would find this pattern of when they, the people did really good in God's eyes, and then they did bad in God's eyes. And they had blessing, and then they had a horrible time. And up and down. And you would see this cycle all the way through. It constantly happens all the way through those history books. In fact, it says 57 times in the Old Testament alone, the phrase, they did evil in God's eyes, exists. And we find this in these history books of up, ups and downs, ups and downs. And those type of things happen. Why? Because of decisions. Decisions people made. Now, you could probably look back on some decision you've made, maybe even this past week, and you look back and said, I am still dealing with the difficulties of that decision, right? And so our decisions are another way where these type of things happen. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, in life, there are certain points where I stop and kind of take evaluation, where I look back and I ask myself, you know, how are things going? Uh, Is there anything I could kind of do different? Could I look at things differently? At the end of every baseball season, you know, as we came off the field, we would have our banquet and our celebration. But by the next morning, I was in total evaluation mode. And I was asking myself, is there anything we can do different? Is there decisions I can make different? Is, it, is there any way that I can set ourselves, set ourselves up to maybe even, even take advantage of better circumstances? Is there anything I can do? I was in this evaluation mode. And I realized that when I look back at it, though at the time I didn't quite have the clarity of mind to, 
to describe it this way, but when I was 16 years old and I was kind of hanging around church for the first time in my life, that's really what was going on, is I was starting to evaluate where I was, and I evaluate maybe my first 16 years, or at least where I was starting to you know, mature as a young man, and I was evaluating my outlook on life. I was evaluating how, what I used to determine what I did and how I did it. And over a period of about a year, when that evaluation basically came to the point where I said, you know, it's time for me to really investigate this God thing. It's time for me to really get seriously and learn a little bit more about what God would have to offer my life. And it was a few months after that that, that I became a Christian. There's a few months after that where I felt, you know, this is the better way to go from here on out in my life. And it wasn't that at 16 I was in a lot of trouble or struggle or those type of things, but it just made sense that this was a better way. But for me, it, did, it, was, no, it was no amazing testimony experience that you hear around the campfire sometimes at teen camp. Um, this was just me sitting and reflecting and reading God's Word and deciding, you know what, that's a better way. That's a better way. It will certainly help me with my circumstances and maybe put me in a situation where my circumstances could even be better as well. And so this morning, for the remainder of our time, I'd like to look at three quick things, but I'd like to look at it from the perspective of somebody who maybe hasn't made that decision yet or you haven't solidified it in your heart uh, with, with accepting Christ or saying, you know, God's Word and God, that's the way I'm going to live my life. Maybe you're somebody that uh, you're just kind of wanting to gather information or, or you're just wanting to check out this a little bit more. So from that perspective, let's say I was somebody who I was evaluating in my life. I was starting to look at my life and I was in a period where it was time to start evaluating how I live my life and how my decisions were made. And let's say I was somebody who uh, didn't know the Lord and I was starting to look and say, I wonder if there's anything to this Christianity thing. Maybe there was a friend or two in my life that often said something or maybe they invited me to church or, or maybe I just flipped on the TV every once in a while at the right time and, and heard a preacher or two sharing some words. If I was in that position and I was ready to evaluate my life, there's three, three, three things this morning I think I would look at. I think it would only be logical. First is this. I think if I was in that position, I would have to take a look at this book that Christians use. This, this book that Christians value the most, I would have to take a time to sit back and look at that and investigate and check out this Bible they are talking about. Now, I'm no mechanic at all. If Terry brought me into a shop or Jason brought me into a shop, I'd probably last 10 minutes and you'd fire me. Um, unless there was something, you know, I cleaned the gumball machine or something that paid well there. I wouldn't last long uh, in, that, in that place. But let's say I got under my hood and I said, I am going to attack this and I'm going to figure out what the rattle is or the leak is or, you know, where the smoke's coming from or, or those type of things. You know, the first thing I would have to do in my position is I would have to get a book out, probably the one that says, you know, Mechanics for Dummies or something like that. I'd have to get a book out, and I would have to do a little bit of studying. I'd have to look at that and figure out a bit. The same kind of concept is true. If I was investigating this way in my life, if I was wanting to learn what is it that Christians find in this book, I would want to open that book and I'd want to look in there and I'd want to study and, and find out what is it they find. I'd want to know what is it that guy at the baseball game is holding up all the time that says John 6, 3.16. I'd like to know what does that say? What does it mean? 
I'd want to be looking and investigating it. I would want to not just take people that said something about the Bible at their word. I'd want to open it up and look for myself and find out what does it really have to say about certain subjects in life. Take a look at Acts chapter 17, verse 11 and 12. It says this, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. You see, the Bereans in the Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament here, they're searching the scripture. They heard it. They heard about it. Many of them weren't believers yet, but they investigated. They checked it out. They wanted to look and see. See, here at, at Wendover, we take a great value on the scripture. Am I right? I mean, it's at the forefront of what we do. I mean, we feel like that if the scripture doesn't talk about it, or the, the scripture doesn't lead us in this direction, that that's probably not what we should do here. Probably not what we should spend a lot of time being about. The scripture is central to what, what we're about. You know, there's an organization that has spent, you know, just years and years, dollars in focus on one thing, and it's getting the word of God into people's hands. And this morning, uh, Wayne Stafford is here with us from that organization, the Gideons. And uh, we're going to watch a video for a moment. And then I've asked Wayne if he'd just come up and, and share with you for a moment about what they do, what the Gideons do, and how central scripture is to them. So let's watch. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In more than 180 countries, members of the Auxiliary of the Gideons International are helping to change lives. Through prayer, personal witnessing, and by sharing God's Word in hospitals and medical offices, jails and prisons, crisis pregnancy centers, and domestic violence shelters. Last year, the Auxiliary distributed nearly three and a half million scriptures worldwide, and an untold number of lives have been changed. I learned about Jesus Christ through my New Testament. When a patient asked me to help him die, I opened it and began to share. Someone does love me. God loves me and gives me strength. Things are going to be better now. I am going to make it. I can do all things through Christ, and now I know what real success is. I won't have to do this alone. Jesus Christ will be with my baby and me. That testament was one of the most important gifts anyone has ever given me, and I was saved by God's grace. I thought my life was over until I read my New Testament. And now, even though I'm still behind bars, I'm free. So you can see how valuable this, this scripture is, this, this Bible is to our faith. And so if I was investigating to want to know a little bit more, I'd have to get into the Word. I'd have to get in there and start digging around and finding out about uh, what an organization like the Gideons takes so important. But let me talk to Christians for just a second. You know, as Christians, this is a, this is a point that we need to own really strong. 
getting into our Word, getting into the Bible. One of the messages I want you to hear at Wendover over and over and over and over is the theme of God never designed the church to be your place where you could come and get all your spiritual nourishment on Sunday morning and you'd go home kind of refreshed. Or you hear the phrase sometimes, you know, I love a Wednesday night service because you know, I kind of get a little refreshed midweek and keeps me going until I can get to Sunday. God never designed the church that way. God's design is he wants you to be in his, God, in his word. He wants you to be connected with him every day. He wants you, in the phrase that we've been using, he wants you to feed yourself. He wants you to take, his, take the word and spend time in it daily. It's why we put out some of the reading plans and those type of things. It's, it's a resource to help you get into the word all the time. Because guess what, Christians? We deal with ups and downs just the same as anyone else. We look back sometimes and we're at the bottom of the slide and we're trying to figure out the answer to the same question that everybody else is asking. And when we stay rooted and grounded in God's word, there are so many words of hope and encouragement that come to us. So let's look at another thing. If I was kind of checking this thing out and I was wanting to investigate and I didn't know the Lord, and one of the other things I'd have to start evaluating is where do I get my current info from? Where do I currently get kind of the influence in my life that helps me make decisions. We all are influenced one way or another. Did you know that? I mean, it, it, we're all influenced. Uh, in fact, when I was a, a youth minister, I used to do a lot of research on the influence of music. And we all kind of bought into, at times, this, this myth that, that music doesn't quite influence our life, or we, we've bought into maybe a mentality that, you know, I listen to the music but not the lyrics type of things. But for that teen life, that the influence of music is a powerful one. There's plenty of data to back it up. But it doesn't just stop with teens. It goes all the way on to adults. It doesn't just stop with music. Uh, just expand it as far as you want to expand it. We are influenced by a lot of things. I would need to evaluate where is it that I receive my influence currently. When it comes to ethical matters, where do I, where do I learn about those type of things? Do you know that right now, one of the big movements in public school systems across the nation, and I, I read it on, on North Carolina's website as well, so they're part of the movement, is this movement towards character-based curriculum. It's curriculum that's trying to help return us to these ethical characteristics. And somehow they're weaving it into the curriculum. I don't know on, on what level and how they're doing it, but they recognize this need to return us to some type of ethical characteristics. Well, guess what? If our, our Bible and our Christianity, it walks us through these type of characteristics. And so if I was wanting to, to check this out, I would have to evaluate first, where do, I get my, where do I get my knowledge of these ethics from? Where do I get my info from? And what does this Bible have to say about it that I'm spending time checking out? Take a look at Colossians 2.8. The Bible talks about this a little bit. And you could take time to read this whole passage, because really the whole passage talks about this, but let me pull out one verse that would be a help for us. It says this in Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. When I was, um, oh, I, I was probably seventh or eighth grade, um, I read a book uh, called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. Christian author who, who is writing, and he puts this very vivid, very vivid spiritual warfare world. 
You see, it's, it's, life is just the same, just like, like you and I live our life. We go to work. We have relationships. But in the book, there was, I guess, kind of in the background, but playing a prominent role, always these spiritual forces, these demons that had names and these angels that had names. And there was this constant battle that was being described by Peretti in the book. And this battle uh, was, you saw the, the living out of it through the human characters as well. Sometimes it would be a little bit easier for us if we could just clearly see demon angel. Uh, because I think if we could see the demon in, in the ugliness that's often presented, it would be easy to say, I don't want that. And we would go to this, this angel or this, this type of being that looked very glorious. But in our lives, it's more like this passage where we often get buy into these subtle and these deceptive type philosophies. And so as we're, as we're the, the, the passage says, as we spend time in this world and, and through how we get our info or how we get our influence, often we buy into these little types of areas. I would need to evaluate and ask, where am I getting my info? What, how am I receiving that? What, what is it I'm taking in? Christians, for a second, ask yourself the same question. Where does your dominant influence come from? We come to church and we spend an hour here, but if we go away and most of the rest of our time is spent through some influence that doesn't value the Lord, we're getting influenced by a lot of these deceptive and empty philosophies here. And we have to ask ourselves, are we receiving that? Are we buying into that? Are we, as the passage said, do we ever allow ourselves to be taken captive by this? Captive meaning we're taking control. Are we buy into it? Are we start to say, yeah, that sounds right. Let's look at one more before we, we finish off uh, today. The third one, if I was somebody who was not of the faith yet and I was just checking it out, I would have to, after I looked at the scripture a bit, after I evaluated where I got my own source of influence and info, I would have to, for lack of a better way to say it, I'd have to give it a try. I'd have to check this out. I'd have to kind of put it in action, really, and see if it works. Now, this is where this point doesn't perfectly line up for, for us that are believers, because we would know it's hard to put your faith in the Lord into a tri trial period. It doesn't quite work the same way as, you know, you know 30-day option and your money back type of uh, setup. Um, but nonetheless, I could start taking things that the Bible teaches, and I could start putting them into play in my life. Now, if you come around here a lot, you're going to hear me talk a lot about our marriages, a lot about what God can do in our marriage. I just strongly believe that your marriage does not have to be mediocre, that God has not designed your marriage to be junk. He's not designed it to even be neutral. He's designed it to be a marriage that can really grow and strive. I think his word is, is filled with that. And so if I was somebody investigating, here's a way I could give it a trial by looking and trying to ask, you know, how is it that I can put Christian principles into my life, in my marriage right now? How about with our kids? Uh, I had watched a movie the other night that's going to be coming out on September 30th uh, called Courageous. It's all about a dad. It's all about dads and how they are in their home and influence their kids and what part of the, their life they are, or, or part of their kid's life they play. And one of the stats that really hit me in the movie was they said 36% of homes 
there at some point or some significant period in that home, there is no father present at all. And they said another 30% have dads that are disengaged fully, meaning they live in the home, but there's no engagement really with the life of their kid. If those stats hold out, do you realize that two-thirds of every ch children growing up don't have that strong father influence? And you could see for us why that is so important in Scripture, why, it, why it's such a central uh, theme on how we care for the family and how we care for our kids, whether we're a dad or a mom. If I was investigating it, those are principles I could put into place right away. Those are things I could give it a try, and I could put them out there and start learning how does this work in. Christians, for a second, often we like to really spiritualize things. And when I say that, um, I don't say that meaning spiritual things is wrong because they're, they're outstanding. But we often spiritualize things, meaning we forget to take what the Bible is teaching us and to put it into all the small practical way, things that we deal with in life every single day. We talk about, you know, it's a wonderful worship service, and I, you know, I just really felt like, you know, while I was singing, I really touched, I, you know, connected with God. All those things are good things to say, and they're powerful, and they should be part of our worship experience all the time. But there's these practical things that we can take from God's Word, stick right into our lives. And so, as Christians, we can claim that our marriages are better and that our connection with our kids are better or just relationships in general in our life is better because we put these things that, that we believe in into play every day on a daily basis. And so, we can put these things into our life. You know, I believe that if you take your Bible, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, and you spend your time in it, everything you need to know, it's all there. Everything you need for that survival, you're at the bottom of the chute, and you're tr trying to figure out how did you get there, what do you do from here, and why did this even happen to me in the first place? All that is there. It's all found in the Bible. T take a look at this clip that talks about this. Yeah, so a fun way to, to laugh, but it hits the point strong that everything we need to know, it's already in there. What we need, it's there already. Here's what the Bible says and how the Bible describes this. Take a look at this. is 2 Timothy 3.16 from the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. See, that's what our, our scripture does for us. And so if I was somebody investigating, I would have to put some of those things into play and to see how they really work out. We have pretty strong faith that when we put God's principles into place in our life, life is just better. And that's why the Bible can boldly say something like John 10.10, 10, that I come that you might have life and more life than you've ever dreamed. Because when we surrender ourselves before God, that's what he brings just new incredible life heaven to come which is that eternal life but life every single day living it every day when we wake up through the day whether we're at the bottom of the chute or climbing the ladder we receive that from god this morning that you know my prayer is that if you're investigating it you would keep doing that you would keep searching and that if a day came where you were ready to say you know i buy into this holy I really I want to surrender my life before God and receive him into my life. And this is the path I want to commit to the rest of my life. I pray you would take that commitment very seriously. 
you spend the time just stopping before and saying that prayer. Lord, I realize my life has been without you and I've made decisions that are sin. But come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you from here on out. It's that simple. That type of heartfelt prayer, the Lord will come in and take over and you are a believer. And God will be with you. For Christians, though, this morning, you may be, you may be one that these three points are just as applicable to you. Being able to get in God's Word, putting it into practice in your life, is just as significant and just as important today for you. You might have your own business to do before God, your own recommitment to go before Him and to speak with Him about. Next week, we're going to continue, and we're going to talk about this ladder and climbing the ladder and how it connects with the spiritual journey as well. So I encourage you to come back, be a part of that as well. Well, let me pray for you, and we'll close up service. I'll ask the praise team to come and lead us out singing, and then we invite you to join us for our, our hot dog lunch this afternoon and support our, our women's ministry as they go on their retreat in a couple months. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I just want to ask, Lord, this morning, if there be anyone who's just in, been investigating and they're just ready to surrender before you, that they'd take the time to say a prayer just like what we just said. And they would do that business and they would know you as their Savior. And this morning, if you're one that does that, would you just let us know on, on one of the cards, just, just write down that you said that prayer. We would love to connect with you right away and get you going on this spiritual journey and disciple you right away. Lord, I just ask, Lord, for, for all of us that the, the impact of the Scripture, that we would receive that, Lord, that we would make a commitment to really be in your Word on a deeper level, that you would impact us that way, Lord. We just ask, Father, that, that in this area of wanting to put into play the things that Scripture has to say, that you would do business with us. And if anyone here this morning, anyone that knows the Lord is just saying, man, God, I've been so away from you in this area of putting into practice, putting in practice to think a better dad or mother or, or spouse or any other area of our life, Lord, that they would just quietly do business with you right now. And Lord, that you would meet them, bless them, encourage them. We pray in your son's name. Amen.